You're listening to the podcast of the Biopharmaceutical Section of the American Statistical Association. Statistics. 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 Hi, everyone, and Happy New Year. Welcome to the podcast of the Biopharmaceutical Section of the American Statistical Association. I'm Richard Zink. Episode 27 features a conversation I had with Veronica Taylor from the Center of Veterinary Medicine at the FDA. We had a good chat about medical product development and the related regulatory challenges for animals. I learned a lot, and I hope you will, too. Let's listen to the podcast. Hi, folks. Today I'm talking with Veronica Taylor, Director of the Division of Scientific Support in the Center for Veterinary Medicine, CVM, at the Food and Drug Administration. Good morning to you, Veronica. Good morning, Richard. So before we get started talking about the FDA uh, and your role there, uh, let's find out a little bit about uh, how you became a statistician. How did you first become interested in statistics? Well, I was pursuing a master's degree in plant breeding and genetics, and I was taking lots of statistics classes, and I really, really enjoyed those. And then one hot summer spent in Mississippi cross-pollinating corn convinced me that maybe uh, statistics was a better path for me. So I finished my uh, genetics degree, and then I got a master's degree in statistics at Louisiana State. I did a lot of work with the experiment stations there. So I became involved in agriculture right out of the chute. Um, And I went to the Updown Company then. It's long past. And uh, as a biostatistician, and worked with them for several years, and then went to Kansas State University and received my PhD in statistics. And how soon after being at Kansas State did you end up going to the FDA? Well, while I was at Kansas State, I also worked as a consultant for a small consulting company for many years. And then in 2006, I decided to come to CVM, or I wanted to come to CVM. I was fortunate enough to get hired, so I've been at the Center for Veterinary Medicine for almost 10 years. I've always been involved with the, uh, like I said, agriculture, animal studies. In my consulting capacity, much of my work was done with um, approval of animal drugs or animal biologics. Very good. Can you describe your current role as director at the Division of Scientific Support at CVM? Sure. Uh, In CVM, uh, I'm the director, as Richard said, of the Division of Scientific Support, and that particular division includes two statistics teams, an environmental safety team, and a clinical pharmacology team. And my role here is to ensure that all of these teams have the support to be able to face all of the challenges we have in the animal drug approval process and to interact with their scientific colleagues to fulfill CVM's mission which is to protect human and animal health. CVM's mission aligns very well with the FDA mission to protect consumers and enhance public health by maximizing compliance of FDA-regulated products and minimizing risks associated with those products. All four of these teams are very important in the approval process, but as this is uh, specifically for the American Statistical Association, we'll 
concentrate on what the statistics teams do. How do the statistics teams interact with the larger um, scientific teams within the Center for Veterinary Medicine? Uh, well, the statistics teams function much like other teams in the FDA for the approval of human drugs. They interact with veterinarians, animal scientists, and other scientists uh, in the drug approval process to des help design, along with sponsors, studies that are acceptable and evaluate the data collected from those studies um, and help the scientists interpret and make good decisions based on those. We can talk about some of the challenges that they have that are different from comrades in the other uh, FDA centers in that our statisticians work with all kinds of diseases and all kinds of conditions for all animal species. So we are not specialists. We do not have a special team that works with cardiology drugs or a special team that works with oncology drugs or pain medication. All of the statisticians here work with all of those indications, and they also have the opportunity to work with all animal species, cats, dogs, pigs, chickens, fish. So they're, they're quite broad in their application. Do the clinical teams or the veterinary teams, or do they experience similar uh, thing where they have to be specialists across all animal fields and all medical fields as well for the for the various animals that they're studying, or they or, or is there more specialization for them? There's more specialization for those teams. So there are three divisions that are called target animal divisions. There's the division of therapeutic drugs for non-food animals the Division of Therapeutic Drugs for Food Animals, and the Division of Production Drugs. Well, it sounds like uh, the individuals here have, the statisticians at least, have a, a lot on their plate in terms of uh, learning about the different animals and different diseases that those animals can uh, experience. They do because, uh, as you might imagine, production animals are managed quite differently than pets are. Pet studies are frequently similar to human clinical trials, where pets are enrolled at a veterinary clinic and given drugs, randomized trial assessed by the veterinarian, and evaluation is made on that basis, where for the production animals that are usually available all at one time at a test facility and randomized to a, a study, has a more classical experimental design flavor. And we also have to be cognizant in the uh, evaluation of drugs for production animals that the conditions of use have to be considered. So most production animals are either held in pens or tanks for fish, and that consideration goes into designing studies. So we have different sized experimental units. The individual animal is not always the experimental unit. I see. So it could be a particular aquarium tank, for example, if we're talking about fish or um, a different pen um, if we're talking about uh, other types of animals. Correct. And, uh, and part of that is sometimes it's because the drug is delivered in water or in feed. And sometimes it's just because that's the way they're housed and they share that environmental condition. I see. So when you say production animals, you're uh, specifically referring to animals that uh, human beings consume for food. Is that generally the difference uh, between production and non-production animals? That is correct. Uh, what we consider to be 
uh, either they produce food we consume or we do consume them. Just to clarify a point you made earlier then, the production animals that we consume for food, we those experiments are designed in sort of the, I guess what one would consider more of a classical experimental uh, design in the laboratory, whereas uh, pets and other animals, uh, those are more like clinical trials. Uh, we're recruiting animals at veterinarians uh, to participate in the trials. Is that uh, the big distinction that I that I summarize that correctly? Well, actually, we don't do many trials in a laboratory. Quite a lot of the production animal trials are actually done where um, they're being raised for the um, market. So laboratory studies are usually done for uh, target animal safety or mm -hmm. for specific parasite or microbial studies sometimes, mostly parasite studies. But otherwise, our effectiveness studies are certainly done out in the field. Go ahead. I guess I misspoke then. I uh, I guess I meant in a more controlled situation, um, labor laboratory-like settings where the environment is a bit more controlled than, say, recruiting animals, say, from veterinarians, similar to how patients are recruited uh, from the clinic. They are conducted in a single site, and we do usually conduct multi-site studies for uh, those approvals. And mm -hmm. at a particular site, the owner of the animals will have their management practices and their food rations that they provide. And, of course, the climate may be what it is in California or Louisiana or Michigan, but there's really not control. And mm -hmm. I don't interpret that as control, as, as much control as in a laboratory study. Okay. So the animals are of quite varied weight, for example. Um, they are multiple breeds sometimes. So they're not really laboratory control studies. I see. Well, we talked a little bit about the, the, the challenges and some of the distinctions with the, the animal studies. Can you give us a brief overview of the history of the Center of Veterinary Medicine and, and the mission of the division? Sure. In 1954, the FDA Bureau of Medicine was established, and it included at that time the Veterinary Medical Review Branch. And then in 1965, the Independent Bureau of Veterinary Medicine was established, and in 1984, we were renamed the Center for Veterinary Medicine. Statistics has always been a critical part of that review process at CVM. So we've been evaluating drugs for quite a long time. Uh, the division's goal and mission is to provide independent scientific expertise in the areas of biostatistics, environmental science, and clinical pharmacology and function as an integral part of the drug approval process by proactively and collaboratively interacting with other CVM reviewers and stakeholders. Uh, scientific integrity, communication, and continual scientific improvement are fundamental to the collective success of both the teams in my division and CVM. How many statisticians would you say are a part of the Center for Veterinary Medicine? I can only speak to, um, so this division is in the Office of New Animal Drug Evaluation, so we are in the pre-approval side. I can only speak to the number of statisticians in ONAID, uh, and, and we have two teams. We're aiming for 
12 statisticians, 13 statisticians with that. Uh, there are other statisticians on the office of, at the Office of Surveillance and Compliance. I see. But so I, they're the post-marketing safety side of things, is that correct? Correct. I guess it's pretty safe to say then on the on the CVM side that you're probably the, the smallest division um, uh, when you compare yourself to CEDAR, CDRH, and CBER. Yes, CVM is uh, the smallest center, and we have the smallest statistics group in, in, uh, of any other center, I think. I'm, I'm not sure about the size of the statistics groups at the Center for Tobacco Products or at the Center okay. for Food Safety and Nutrition. But in relative to CDRH, CBER, and CDER, we are, we are small. We're mighty. Sure, small but mighty. So now that we have a bit of the history of the of the CVM, can you give us a, a brief description of the regulatory process for sponsors submitting packages to CVM? Is it similar to how uh, it operates uh, on the human side, or, or what are the differences? It is very similar to what's done on the human side. Uh, sponsors do have to submit studies and sufficient information to be able to evaluate that a drug is safe and effective. There are two notable differences, though. At CVM, we also have to be concerned with human food safety in the drug approval process of a production animal. So that's an extra layer that we have. And we also allow the sponsors to participate in a phased review process, which means that as they collect information for technical sections or for a complete technical section, they can submit those as they become available. They do not have to submit an entire package, which is my understanding of how the other centers operate. We've talked a lot, of, I guess, specifically to drugs. You mentioned biologics earlier. Is your division responsible for drugs, biologics, and I guess even potentially any medical devices that are related to animals? We are actually not responsible for biologics, and um, while FDA has regulatory oversight over animal devices, no pre-market approval is currently required, so we do not address those. The Animal Plant Health Inspection Service, Center for Veterinary Biologics, licenses animal biologics. I cannot explain to you why that is separate, but that's at the USDA. So, um, and the Office of Surveillance and Compliance are responsible for monitoring animal feeds and all post-market activities. My division, my teams are essentially responsible for the pre-approval of animal drugs. And the definition of animal drugs includes all the therapeutic drugs, antiparasites, antibiologics, oncology, cardiac, diabetes, and pain control drugs. We also address genetic drugs, uh, not genetic, generic drugs. Oh, I think I'll just leave it at that. Okay. Well, you mentioned before how you evaluate, I guess, the human impact, particularly for uh, production animals. Can you give an example of one of those cases where you would have to consider uh, the human uh, impact uh, with regards to um, particular animal trial? Certainly. If a dairy animal, a dairy cow, for example, gets mastitis, which is an infection of their udders, 
and they are treated with uh, an antibiotic of some sort. That animal has to be taken out of the regular milking process, held in, uh, they're, they're called hospital pens, and uh, we have to be able to evaluate the amount of antimicrobials, that, that uh, antibiotic that remains in the milk. So a withdrawal time is set up between the time an animal receives the drug and the time they can actually go into product into the production chain, food producing chain, to ensure that residues are not present in that meat or product. Eggs, milk, those are the eggs and milk are the, usually the products produced by production animals. Does your division collaborate in any way uh, with the USDA or, or are there points at which um, are there clear handoffs between the two divisions or uh, do you find yourselves uh, interacting at all? The Human Food Safety Group is a part, uh, they have a very robust and well-developed mon- uh, system for evaluating and approval and then the handoff is to the USDA in terms of inspection. I see. So we set the withdrawal times, and then um, the USDA, I can't remember what that acronym is, uh, is responsible for uh, inspections and monitoring any uh, drug that's in the animal or the animal product. The USDA is just the, the Department of Agriculture? Oh, it's actually the Animal Plant Health and Inspection Service. Oh, I see. APHIS, we call it. APHIS within the, the USDA. Right. So we talked a little bit about some of the study design aspects, particularly based on the different kinds of animals that may be a part of the studies. What sort of statistical challenges are, are commonly observed uh, within the uh, the trials that are developed on the, the CVM side of things? Well, as I as I alluded to earlier, uh, we have to for production animals design with animal management considerations. That means that our designs are not typically like those, those designs are not typically like those used by cedar or seabur. Many of our clinical endpoints are based on subjective measures for clients who cannot communicate. So Mm -hmm. we have to depend on owners or veterinarians to make the assessment for the dog, the cat, the cow. And this is not unlike what uh, cedar or receiver has to do for pediatric patients. We do find it difficult to find validated assessment tools for these animals, mostly because the sponsors that we interact with are quite small. Some of them may have only one or two products in their portfolios, so we have to work closely with them to help them find an appropriate clinical endpoint for um, evaluation. Also at CVM, we've we've always considered sites and location to be random effects to broaden the inference base to address these differences that we might have in management, climate, and disease prevalence. So almost every model at CVM is a mixed model. This presents a challenge in applying a lot of the statistical tools uh, that are available for other less mixed designs like interim analysis methods become have a little bit of different flavor at CVM than they do in other places. 
And, and we also have a, a challenge in that some of the endpoints that can be used for human clinical trials, like time to death, have a totally different interpretation at CVM because especially for companion animals, pet owners are typically more concerned with the quality of life. And mm-hmm. they can elect to euthanize a suffering pet. So that changes what that interpretation might be, and it makes it a little less available to us for a critical clinical endpoint. Those, those are some of the things that go on. This, and again, I, you know, I, I never tire of saying our statisticians have to do all therapeutics and all productions and all species, which can be a challenge because the um, horse reaction to certain drugs is much different than the cat, for example. And we have to be cognizant of some of the biologics that, that go into decisions about how those animals are going to be managed. You mentioned a lot of the uh, subjective endpoints that are a majority of the uh, primary and secondary endpoints uh, for animal studies. How important or, or how often do uh, inter-reader reliability studies come into uh, the various packages uh, that are submitted, or is it the case that uh, you do have the ability to rely on a small set of uh, well-trained readers uh, to to get the endpoints? The way that we use typically use these subjective endpoints is to try to combine these evaluations in such a way that a veterinarian could consider the treatment of an animal to be a success. So these are typically translated into success-failure dynamics. Uh, So we don't analyze the subjective endpoint in and of itself, but we do have, for example, there can be a list of of subjective measures related to pain and what a cat may do to demonstrate that it is no longer experiencing pain. And we determine if there has been a change of score of this and these other things are happening, then then typically a veterinarian would consider that a success. So we're often analyzing binomial information, and 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 that's been quite uh, it's worked quite well for us. So you mentioned some of the the challenges of the veterinary trials. Are there certain aspects to veterinary medicine that allow for uh, greater efficiencies compared to human trials? Uh, Yes, Richard, there are. Uh, Because we can do, for example, safety studies in the target animal and because we can use animal challenge models to evaluate safety, I mean effectiveness, we can often use fewer and smaller studies to make those evaluations. Now, trials in oncology frequently use adaptive designs and and Bayesian methodologies have been successfully used uh, in device trials submitted to CDRH. What uh, innovative statistical methodologies are are commonly used within veterinary trials? And I heard you mention interim analyses uh, earlier. So am I correct in assuming that you're using adaptive designs uh, for animal studies as well? We can use adaptive designs in interim analyses. However, as I also mentioned, we are very much in the mixed model mode. So it is a little bit of a challenge to try to evaluate, for example, if you're doing a sample size adjustment, whether you need to add more animals in multiple sites or many animals at a single site. So we have a a challenge there, or do you need to add an additional entire site to a study? 
to uh, make any adjustments. So while those are possible to use, the, the mixed models challenge in, in our effectiveness studies, we're still working through some, some um, issues with those. I can tell you, though, that because we can rely on a weight of evidence approach for drug approval, uh, CVM has recently approved Faltropin, which is indicated for the induction of superovulation in beef and dairy heifers and cows. And this particular approval used planned systematic evaluation of the literature to evaluate safety and a systematic evaluation of the literature plus meta-analysis to establish effectiveness. So we are you, uh, we we consider those methods to be innovative, and and we can use those methods because experiment stations across the country, where they're doing animal research, academic research, a sponsor might be able to pool information from literature studies published from those sources to help in their development of their package. Is there any use of uh, Bayesian methodologies within the Center for Veterinary Medicine? We are considering it, but as far as I know, to date we have not used Bayesian methods to approve a drug. One of the things that is different from CVM that I did not mention when we were talking about the drug approval process is uh, we don't do a phase one, two, three trials. Many of the times we have a definitive effectiveness study with some supporting evidence uh, in order to make a decision. So some methods that can be used for asking questions may not be deemed appropriate for veterinary medicine drug approval if that is the only information that we have. So we're hesitant sometimes, not always, but sometimes to use interim analysis, I mean, adaptive design especially, and, and Bayesian methods when we're only going to have a small number of studies and a small number of animals. I see. So the, the three phases of drug development don't necessarily or do not apply uh, within CVM. Correct. Typically, then, uh, how many studies are submitted in a package to establish safety and efficacy? Um, that would be a really hard question to answer. There are, uh, it, it's a really hard question to answer because it, de it depends very much on what our past knowledge is of a particular drug and what it's intended to be used for and how serious the need is. Um, and so there's not, I cannot say that there's a typical number and to tell you that there's an average number would be misleading. I will, okay. say, I will say that the number of studies that are used is appropriate for um, the information that we have. And as I mentioned in the approval of the drugs that we use, meta-analysis and systematic literature review, it, it, it is a, sometimes a weight of evidence. And if we find we need more evidence, we certainly ask for it. But there are some animal drugs that have been around since FDA was established and um, we may need fewer studies for those, but a new oncology drug, we may need more. So there's nothing typical here. Okay. <laughs> it sounds very challenging. Sorry about that, but there's nothing typical here, yeah. No, it's interesting. Uh, one question I thought of, how much overlap does there tend to be with drugs that are developed and marketed in humans 
Is the space of drugs pretty distinct between animals and humans? Are there drugs that make their way into animals before humans or uh, make their ways into humans before animals? And if so, uh, how does that affect, I, I guess, the level of evidence or the number of trials needed for animal studies or trials for the veterinary use? I will say I am not aware of a drug being approved in animals and then being approved in humans, although they may, that may have happened. The application of human drugs in animal health is typically related to uh, our pets, cats, dogs, and horses. Some of the information collected on the human health side might be used in this weight of evidence evaluation, especially the dog studies used. Typically, though, the sponsors has to start from scratch. One of the differences is, again, that um, a toxicology study used in uh, investigating um, human drug may not meet the standard of a substantial evidence of effectiveness for the safety evaluation of an animal. So we may still request a target animal safety study done to our specifications. Again, it, it is a weight of evidence determination of how and whether or not that human data collected for the human drug can be used. But we have a lot of crossover for sponsors wanting to get an animal drug approved in the areas of oncology, pain, arthritis, diabetes, cardiovascular conditions, obesity. So... Human drugs may inspire animal drugs. I'll put it that way. Another question about uh, submissions. When sponsors submit a drug for approval, are they typically submitting within uh, one species, or do they submit across multiple species uh, at the same time? It is not uncommon, in, especially in the pet areas, to have a sponsor pursuing both a cat and a dog claim at the same time. It is less common in the production animals to have that kind of uh, target. So a cow drug may not be useful for pigs, for example. But but dog and cat, again, the cardiac, oncology, those kinds of drugs, a sponsor very often pursues an approval in dogs and cats. They're submitted separately and they're evaluated differently, so they're not included in the same study report, for example, but they are pursued simultaneously, if that makes sense. So we don't get a dog and cat application. We get a dog application and a cat application, but those may be happening at the same time or in parallel. Sorry for all these last-minute questions, but I keep thinking of things as we're talking. So on the cedar side, we have this concept of generics, and in CBER we have uh, this concept of biosimilars on the in the veterinary med side, do we have a similar sort of thing where after a certain period of time, uh, if a sponsor develops a drug that this opens up to uh, generic manufacturers to make generic versions of the products as well? We do have uh, we have a generic animal uh, drug division, and the statisticians in the Division of Scientific Support also supports the generic drug approval process. Well, looking forward, what do you see as the biggest challenge to veterinary development? Well, we've talked a lot about the challenges of incorporating uh, new 
statistical methods in the framework of a, a heavily mixed model driven system. So that's one of them. But I think one of the biggest challenges that we have is um, is similar to every other center is the uh, global harmonization of the drug approval process. That's frequently brought up by sponsors and we, like everyone else, have, have the challenge of both complying with good science and our laws and our regulations in, when it comes to uh, global approvals. We are working on uh, the harmonization with our uh, can Canadian counterparts and our European counterparts. We actually have some mechanisms in place that we do some reviews in tandem with Canada and uh, we can have consultations with the EU in the development of protocols. But we still have quite a ways to go to satisfy sponsors in terms of them doing you know, multiple studies in uh, the U.S. or Europe and having all of us accept all the data. That brings up an interesting question. And is there something similar? Or does ICH apply to animal studies? And if not, does, is there something similar? to ICH for animal yes, studies? Yes, there is. There's VICH, and I'm guessing you can guess that the V stands for veterinary. So, yes, we have a similar uh, body. Does that body meet independently of the ICH body when, I guess, revisions are are up for discussion? Yes, that, yes they are. They're uh, completely separate from the ICH, although for some of the things that we've talked about, like adaptive design, they do look to uh, ICH for ideas and, and to uh, consider how things were dr done for the human drug development. But it is an independent body from the ICH. And we have, we have people who represent CVM in uh, that body. Well, thanks very much for talking with me, Veronica. I learned a, a lot about what you're doing over at CVM. Well, thanks for talking with me, Richard. Uh, we're really proud of what we do over here, and we take our, our mission seriously, and we consider that we are also interested in human health as well as animal health. So thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk with you.